Act Three of Henry the Fourth, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry the Fourth, Part One by William Shakespeare. Act Three. Scene One. Bangor. The Archdeacon's House. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, Mortimer, and Glendower. These promises are fair, the party's sure, and our induction full of prosperous hope. Lord Mortimer and Cousin Glendower, will you sit down? And Uncle Worcester. Oh, plague upon it, I have forgot the map. No, here it is. Sit, Cousin Percy. Sit, good Cousin Hotspur. For by that name, as oft as Lancaster doth speak of you, his cheek looks pale, and with a rising sigh he wisheth you in heaven. And you in hell, as oft as he hears Owen Glendower spoke of. I cannot blame him. At my nativity the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes, of burning cressets, and at my birth the frame and huge foundation of the earth shakes like a coward. Why, so it would have been done at the same season, if your mother's cat had but kittened, though yourself had never been born. I say the earth did shake when I was born. And I say the earth was not of my mind, if you suppose as fearing you it shook. The heavens were all on fire, the earth did tremble. Well, then the earth shook to see the heavens on fire, and not in fear of your nativity. Diseased nature oftentimes breaks forth in strange eruptions, off the teeming earth, is with a kind of colic pinched and vexed by the imprisoning of unruly wind within her womb, which for enlargement striving shakes the old beldam earth and topples down steeples and moss-grown towers. At your birth our grandam earth, having this distemperature in passion, shook. Cousin, of many men I do not bear these crossings. Give me leave to tell you once again that at my birth the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes. The goats ran from the mountains, and the herds were strangely clamorous to the frighted fields. These signs have marked me extraordinary, and all the courses of my life do show I am not in the role of common men. Where is he living, clipped in with the sea, that chides the banks of England, Scotland, Wales, which calls me pupil, or hath read to me, and bring him out that is but woman's son can trace me in the tedious ways of arts, and hold me pace in deep experiments. I think there's no man speaks better Welsh. I'll to dinner. Peace, cousin Percy. You will make him mad. I can call spirits from the vasty deep. Why, so can I, or so can any man. But will they come when you do call for them? Why, I can teach you, cousin, to command the devil. And I can teach thee, cuz, to shame the devil, by telling truth. Tell truth and shame the devil. If thou have power to raise him, bring him hither, and I'll be sworn I have power to shame him hence. Oh, while you live, tell truth and shame the devil. Come, come, no more of this unprofitable chat. Three times hath Henry Bolingbroke made head against my power. Thrice from the banks of Wye and sandy-bottomed Severn have I sent him bootless home and weather-beaten back. Home without boots, and in foul weather, too. How scapes he agues in the devil's name? Come, here's the map. Shall we divide our right according to our threefold order taken? The archdeacon hath divided it into three limits very equally. England from Trent and Severn hitherto, by south and east is to my part assigned, all westward Wales beyond the Severn shore, 
and all the fertile land within that bound to Owen Glendower, and, dear cuz, to you the remnant northward, lying off from Trent, and our indentures tripartite are drawn, which being sealed interchangeably, a business that this night may execute, to-morrow, cousin Percy, you and I and my good Lord of Worcester will set forth to meet your father and the Scottish power, as is appointed us, at Shrewsbury. My father Glendower is not ready yet. Not shall we need his help these fourteen days. Within that space you may have drawn together your tenants, friends, and neighboring gentlemen. A shorter time shall send me to you, lords, and in my conduct shall your ladies come, from whom you now must steal and take no leave, for there will be a world of water shed upon the parting of your wives and you. Methinks my moiety north from Burton here, and quantity equals not one of yours. See how this river comes me cranking in and cuts me from the best of all my land a huge half-moon, a monstrous cantalout. I'll have the current in this place dammed up, and here the smug and silver trench shall run in a new channel, fair and evenly. It shall not wind with such deep indent to rob me of so rich a bottom here. Not wind! It shall! It must! You see it doth! Yea, but mark how he bears his course and runs me up with like advantage on the other side, gelding the opposed continent as much as on the other side it takes from you. Yea, but a little charge will trench him here, and on this north side win this cape of land, and then he runs straight and even. I'll have it so. A little charge will do it. I'll not have it altered. Will not you? No, nor shall you not. Who shall say me nay? Why, that will I. Well, let me not understand you, then. Speak it in Welsh. I can speak English, Lord, as well as you for I was trained up in the English court, where, being but young, I framed to the harp many an English ditty lovely well, and gave the tongue a helpful ornament, a virtue that was never seen in you. Mary, and I am glad of it with all my heart. I had rather be a kitten and cry mew than one of these same meter ballad-mongers. I had rather hear a brazen can-stick turned or a dry wheel grate on the axle-tree and that would set my teeth nothing on edge, nothing so much as mincing poetry. Tis like the forced gait of a shuffling nag. Come, you shall have Trent turned. I do not care. I'll give thrice so much land to any well-deserving friend. But in the way of bargain, mark ye me, I'll cavil on the ninth part of a hair. Are the indentures drawn? Shall we be gone? The moon shines fair. You may away by night. I'll haste the rider, and withal break with your wives of your departure hence. I am afraid my daughter will run mad, so much she doteth on her Mortimer. Exit Glendower. Fie, cousin Percy, how you cross my father! I cannot choose. Sometimes he angers me with telling me of the mold-warp and the ant, of the dreamer Merlin and his prophecies, and of a dragon and a finless fish a clip-winged griffin and a molten raven, a couching lion and a ramping cat, and such a deal of skimble-scamble stuff as puts me from my faith. I tell you what, he held me last night at least nine hours in reckoning up the several devil's names that were his lackeys. I cried, Hum, and, well, go to, but marked him not a word. Oh, he is as tedious as a tired horse, a railing wife worse than a smoky house. I'd rather live with cheese and garlic in a windmill far than 
feed on Cates and have him talk to me in any summer house in Christendom. In faith he is a worthy gentleman, exceedingly well-read and profited in strange concealments, valiant as a lion and as wondrous affable and as bountiful as mines of India. Shall I tell you, cousin, he holds your temper in a high respect and curbs himself even of his natural scope when you come cross his humor, faith he does, I warrant you that man is not alive might so have tempted him as you have done, without the taste of danger and reproof. But do not use it oft, let me entreat you. In faith, my lord, you are too willful blame, and since your coming hither have done enough to put him quite besides his patience. You must needs learn, lord, to amend this fault. Though sometimes it show greatness, courage, blood, and that's the dearest grace it renders you, yet oftentimes it doth present harsh rage, defect of manners, want of government, pride, haughtiness, opinion, and disdain, the least of which, haunting a nobleman, loseth men's hearts, and leaves behind a stain upon the beauty of all parts besides, beguiling them of commendation. Well, I am schooled. Good manners be your speed." Here come our wives, and let us take our leave. Re-enter Glendower with the ladies. This is the deadly spite that angers me. My wife can speak no English, I no Welsh. My daughter weeps. She will not part with you. She'll be a soldier too. She'll to the wars. Good father, tell her that she and my Aunt Percy shall follow in your conduct speedily. Glendower speaks to her in Welsh, and she answers him in the same. She is desperate here, a peevish self-wind harlotry, one that no persuasion can do good upon. The lady speaks in Welsh. I understand thy looks, that pretty Welsh which thou pourst down from these swelling heavens, I am too perfect in, and, but for shame, in such a parley should I answer thee. The lady speaks again in Welsh. I understand thy kisses, and thou mine, and that's a feeling disputation. But I will never be a truant, love, till I have learned thy language, for thy tongue makes Welsh as sweet as ditties highly penned, sung by a fair queen in a summer's bower, with ravishing division to her lute. Nay, if you melt, then will she run mad. The lady speaks again in Welsh. Oh, I am ignorance itself in this. She bids you on the wanton rushes lay you down and rest your gentle head upon her lap and she will sing the song that pleaseth you, and on your eyelids crown the god of sleep, charming your blood with pleasing heaviness, making such difference twixt wake and sleep as is the difference betwixt day and night, the hour before the heavenly harnessed team begins his golden progress in the east. With all my heart I'll sit and hear her sing. By that time will our book, I think, be drawn. Do so. And those musicians that shall play to you hang in the air a thousand leagues from hence, and straight they shall be here. Sit and attend. Come, Kate, thou art perfect in lying down. Come, quick, quick, that I may lay my head in thy lap. Go, ye giddy goose. The music plays. Now I perceive the devil understands Welsh, and tis no marvel he is so humorous. By a lady, he is a good musician. Then should you be nothing but musical, for you are altogether governed by humours. Lie still, ye thief, and hear the lady sing in Welsh. 
I had rather hear, lady, my brack howl in Irish. Wouldst thou have thy head broken? No. Then be still. Neither. Tis a woman's fault. Now God help thee. To the Welsh lady's bed. What's that? Ah, peace, she sings. Here the lady sings a Welsh song. Come, Kate, I'll have your song, too. Not mine, in good sooth. Not yours, in good sooth. Heart, you swear like a comfort-maker's wife. Not you, in good sooth. And as true as I live, and as God shall mend me, and uh, as as sure as day, then give us such sarsenet surety for thy oaths as if you never walkst further than Finsbury. Swear me, Kate, like a lady as thou art, a good mouth-filling oath, and leave in sooth, and such protest of pepper gingerbread to velvet guards and Sunday citizens. Come, sing. I will not sing. Tis the next way to turn tailor, or be red-breast teacher, and the indentures be drawn all away within these two hours. And so, come in when you will. Exit. Come, come, Lord Mortimer. You are as slow as hot Lord Percy is on fire to go. By this our book is drawn. We'll but seal, and then to horse immediately. With all my heart. Exeunt. Scene two. London, the palace. Enter King Henry the Fourth, Prince Henry, and others. Lords, give us leave. The Prince of Wales and I must have some private conference. But be near at hand, for we shall presently have need of you. Exeunt lords. I know not whether God will have it so, for some displeasing service I have done, that in his secret doom out of my blood he'll breed revengement and a scourge for me. But thou dost in thy passages of life make me believe that thou art only marked for the hot vengeance and the rod of heaven to punish my mistreadings. Tell me else. Could such inordinate and low desires, such poor, such bare, such lewd, such mean attempts, such barren pleasures, rude society, as thou art matched withal and grafted to, accompany the greatness of thy blood, and hold their level with thy princely heart? So please, your majesty, I would I could quit all offences, with his clear excuse, as well I am doubtless I can purge myself, of many I am charged withal. Yet such extenuation let me beg, as, in reproof of many tales devised, which oft the ear of greatness needs must hear by smiling pick-thanks and base newsmongers, I may for some things true wherein my youth hath faulty wandered and irregular, Find pardon on my true submission. God pardon thee. Yet let me wonder, Harry, at thy affections, which do hold a wing quite from the flight of all thy ancestors. Thy place and counsel thou hast rudely lost, which by thy younger brother is supplied, and art almost an alien to the hearts of all the court and princes of my blood. The hope and expectation of thy time is ruined, and the soul of every man prophetically doth forethink thy fall. Had I so lavish of my presence been, so common hackneyed in the eyes of men, so stale and cheap to vulgar company, opinion, that did help me to the crown, had still kept loyal to possession, and left me in reputeless banishment, 
a fellow of no mark nor likelihood. By being seldom seen, I could not stir, but like a comet I was wondered at, that men would tell their children, This is he. Others would say, Where? Where is Bolingbroke? And then I stole all courtesy from heaven, and dressed myself in such humility that I did pluck allegiance from men's hearts, loud shouts and salutations from their mouths, even in the presence of the crowned king. Thus did I keep my person fresh and new, my presence, like a robe pontifical, ne'er seen but wondered at, and so my state, seldom but sumptuous, showed like a feast and won by rareness such solemnity. The skipping king, he ambled up and down with shallow jesters and rash bevenwits, soon kindled and soon burnt, carded his state, mingled his royalty with capering fools, had his great name profaned with their scorns, and gave his countenance, against his name, to laugh at jibing boys and stand the push of every beardless vain comparative, grew a companion to the common streets, enfeoffed himself to popularity, that, being daily swallowed by men's eyes, they surfeited with honey, and began to loathe the taste of sweetness, whereof a little more than a little is by much too much. So when he had occasion to be seen, he was but as the cuckoo is in June, heard, not regarded, seen, but with such eyes as, sick and blunted with community, afford no extraordinary gaze, such as is bent on sun-like majesty when it shines seldom in admiring eyes, but rather drowsed and hung their eyelids down, slept in his face, and rendered such aspect as cloudy men use to their adversaries, being with his presence glutted, gorged, and full. And in that very line, Harry, standest thou, for thou hast lost thy princely privilege with vile participation. Not an eye but is a-weary of thy common sight, save mine, which hath desired to see thee more, but which now that I would not have it do, make blind itself with foolish tenderness. I shall hereafter, my thrice gracious lord, be more myself. For all the world, as thou art to this hour, was Richard then, when I from France set foot at Ravensburg, and even as I was then is Percy now. Now, by my sceptre, and my soul to boot, he hath more worthy interest to the state, than thou the shadow of succession. For of no right, nor colour like to right, he doth fill fields with harness in the realm, turns head against the lion's armoured jaws, and, being no more in debt to years than thou, leads ancient lords and reverend bishops on to bloody battles, and to bruising arms. What never-dying honour hath he got against renowned Douglas, whose high deeds, whose hot incursions and great name in arms holds from all soldiers, chief majority, and military title capital through all the kingdoms that acknowledge Christ. Thrice hast this Hotspur, Mars in swaddling clothes, this infant warrior, in his enterprises discomfited great Douglas, taken him once, enlarged him and made a friend of him to fill the mouth of deep defiance up, and shake the peace and safety of our throne. 
What say you to this? Percy, Northumberland, the Archbishop's Grace of York, Douglas, Mortimer, capitulate against us and are up. But wherefore do I tell these news to thee? Why, Harry, do I tell thee of my foes, which art my nearest and dearest enemy? Thou that art like enough, through vassal fear, base inclination, and the start of spleen, to fight against me under Percy's pay, to dog his heels, and curtsy at his frowns, to show how much thou art degenerate. Do not think so. You shall not find it so. And God forgive him that so much have swayed your majesty's good thoughts away from me. I will redeem all this on Percy's head. And, in the closing of some glorious day, be bold to tell you that I am your son, when I will wear a garment all of blood, and stain my favors in a bloody mask, which, washed away, shall scour my shame with it. And that shall be the day, when e'er it lights, that this shame, same child of honor and renown, this gallant Hotspur, this all-praised knight, and your unthought of Harry chance to meet, for every honor sitting on his helm would they were multitudes, and on my head my shames were doubled. For the time will come that I shall make this northern youth exchange his glorious deeds for my indignities. Percy is but my factor, good my lord. To engross up glorious deeds on my behalf, and I will call him to so strict account that he shall render every glory up, yea, even the slightest worship of his time, or I will tear the reckoning from his heart. This in the name of God I promise here, the which, if he be pleased, I shall perform. I do beseech your majesty may salve the long-grown wounds of my intemperance. If not, the end of life cancels all bans, and I will die a hundred thousand deaths, ere I break the smallest parcel of this vow. A hundred thousand rebels die in this. Thou shalt have charge and sovereign trust herein. Enter Blunt. How now, good Blunt? Thy looks are full of speed. So hath the business that I come to speak of. Lord Mortimer of Scotland hath sent word that Douglas and the English rebels met the eleventh of this month at Shrewsbury. A mighty and a fearful head they are, if promises be kept on every hand, as ever offered foul play in the state. The Earl of Westmoreland set forth to-day, with him my son, Lord John of Lancaster, for this advertisement is five days old. On Wednesday next, Harry, you shall set forward. On Thursday... We ourselves will march. Our meeting is Bridge North, and, Harry, you shall march through Gloucestershire, by which account our business valued, some twelve days hence our general forces at Bridge North shall meet. Our hands are full of business. Let's away. Advantage feeds him fat, while men delay. Exeunt Scene 3 Eastcheap the Boar's Head Tavern. Enter Falstaff and Bardolph. Bardolph, am I not fallen away vilely since this last action? Do I not bait? Do I not dwindle? Why, 
My skin hangs about me like an old lady's loose gown. I am withered like an old apple, John. Well, I'll repent, and that suddenly. While I am in some liking, I, I shall be out of heart shortly. And then I shall have no strength to repent. And I have not forgotten what the inside of a church is made of. I am a peppercorner, a brewer's horse. The inside of a church. Company, villainous company, hath been the spoil of me. Sir John, you are so fretful, you cannot live long. Why, there is it. Come sing me a bawdy song. Make me marry. I was as virtuously given as a gentleman need to be. Virtuous enough. Swore little. Dice not above seven times a week. Went to a bawdy house once in a quarter of an hour. Paid money that I borrowed three or four times. Lived well and in good compass. And now I live out of all order, out of all compass. Why, you are so fat, Sir John, that you must needs be out of all compass, out of all reasonable compass, Sir John. Do thou amend thy face, and I'll amend my life. Thou art our admiral. Thou bearest the lantern in the poop, but tis in the nose of thee. Thou art the knight of the burning lamp. Why, Sir John, my face does you no harm. <laughs> no, I'll be sworn. I make as good use of it as many a man doth of a death's head or a memento mori. I never see thy face, but I think upon hell-fire and dives that lived in purple. For there he is in his robes, burning, burning. If thou wert any way given to virtue, I would swear by thy face. My oath should be, by this fire, that's God's angel. But thou art altogether given over, and wert indeed, but for the light in thy face, the son of utter darkness. When thou rannest up Gadsil in the night to catch my horse, if I did not think thou hadst been an ignis fatuus, or a ball of wildfire, there's no purchase in money. Oh, thou art a perpetual triumph, an everlasting bonfire-light. Thou hast saved me a thousand marks and links and torches, walking with thee in the night betwixt tavern and tavern. But the sack that thou hast drunk me would have bought me lights as good cheap at the dearest chandlers in Europe. I have maintained that salamander of yours with fire any time this two and thirty years. God reward me for it. Spud, I would my face were in your belly. God a mercy, so should I be sure to be heartburned. Enter hostess. How now? Dame Partlet the hen, have you inquired yet who picked my pocket? Why, Sir John, what do you think, Sir John? Do you think I keep thieves in my house? I have searched, I have inquired, so has my husband. Man by man, boy by boy, servant by servant, the tithe of a hair was never lost in my house before. Ye lie, hostess. Bardolf was shaved and lost many a hair, and I'll be sworn my pocket was picked. Go to, you are a woman, go. Who, I? No, I defy thee. God's light, I was never called so in mine own house before. Go to, I know you well enough. No, Sir John, you did not know me, Sir John. I know you, Sir John, you owe me money, Sir John, and now you pick a quarrel to beguile me out of it. I bought you a dozen shirts to your back. Dowless, filthy dowless. I have given them away to bakers' wives, and they have made bolters of them. Now, as I am a true woman, Holland of eight shillings an ell, 
"'You owe money here besides, Sir John, "'for your diet and by-drinkings, "'and money lent you four-and-twenty pound.' "'He had his part of it. "'Let him pay.' "'He? "'Alas, he is poor. "'He hath nothing.' "'How? "'Poor? "'Look upon his face. "'What call you rich? "'Let them coin his nose. "'Let them coin his cheeks. "'I'll not pay a denier. "'What? "'Will you make a yonker of me? "'Shall I not take mine case in mine inn, "'but I shall have my pocket picked? "'I have lost a seal-ring of my grandfather's "'worth forty mark.' "'Oh, Jesu, I have heard the prince tell him, I know not how oft, that ring was copper.' "'How? The prince is a jack, a sneak-cup. Splud, and he were here. I would cudgel him like a dog, if he would say so.' Enter Prince Henry and Peto, marching, and Falstaff meets them, playing on his truncheon like a fife. "'How now, lad? Is the wind in that door a faith? Must we all march?' "'Yea, two and two, Newgate fashion.' My lord, I pray you, hear me. What sayest thou, mistress, quickly? How doth thy husband? I love him well. He is an honest man. Good my lord, hear me. Prithee, let her alone and list to me. What sayest thou, Jack? The other night I fell asleep here behind the arras and had my pocket picked. This house is turned body house. They pick pockets. What didst thou lose, Jack? Wilt thou believe me, Hal? Three or four bonds of forty pound apiece, and a seal-ring of my grandfather's. A trifle, some eight-penny matter. So I told him, my lord, and I said I heard your grace say so, and my lord, he speaks most vilely of you, like a foul-mouthed man as he is, and said he would cudgel you. What? He did not? There's neither faith, truth, nor womanhood in me else. There's no more faith in thee than in a steward prune nor no more truth in thee than in a drawn fox. And for womanhood, Maid Marian may be the deputy's wife of the war to thee. Go, you thing, go. Say, what thing, what thing? What thing? Why, a thing to thank God on. I am no thing to thank God on, I would thou shouldst know it. I am an honest man's wife, and setting thy knighthood aside, thou art a knave to call me so. Setting thy womanhood aside, thou art a beast to say otherwise. Say, what beast, thou knave, thou? What beast? Why, an otter. An otter, Sir John? Why an otter? Why, she's neither fish nor flesh. A man knows not where to have her. Thou art an unjust man in saying so. Thou or any man knows where to have me, thou knave, thou. Thou sayest true, hostess. And he slanders thee most grossly. So he doth you, my lord, and said this other day you ought him a thousand pound. Sirrah, do I owe you a thousand pound? A thousand pound? Ah, a million! Thy love is worth a million. Thou owest me thy love. Nay, my lord, he called you Jack, and said he would cudgel you. Did I, Bardolf? Indeed, Sir John, you said so. Yea, if he said my ring was copper. I say tis copper. Darest thou be as good as thy word now? Why, how? Thou knowest, as thou art but man, I dare. But as thou art prince, I fear thee as I fear the roaring of a lion's whelp. And why not as the lion? The king is to be feared as the lion. Dost thou think I'll fear thee as I fear thy father? Nay, and I do, I pray God my good'll break. Oh, if it should, 
How would thy guts fall about thy knees? But, sirrah, there's no room for faith, truth, nor honesty in this bosom of thine. It is all filled up with guts and midriff. Charge an honest woman with picking thy pocket? Why, thou whoreson, impudent, embossed rascal, if there were anything in thy pocket but tavern reckonings, memorandums of body houses, and one poor pennyworth of sugar candy to make thee long-winded, if thy pocket were enriched with any other injuries but these, I am a villain. And yet you will stand to it. You will not pocket up wrong. Art thou not ashamed? Dost thou hear how? Thou knowest in the state of innocency Adam fell, and what should poor Jack Falstaff do in the days of villainy? Thou seest I have more flesh than another man, and therefore more frailty. You confess, then? You picked my pocket? It appears so by the story. Hostess, I forgive thee. Go, make ready breakfast. Love thy husband, look to thy servants, cherish thy guests. Thou shalt find me tractable to any honest reason. Thou seest I am pacified still. Nay, prithee, be gone. Exit hostess. Now, Hal, to the news at court, for the robbery, lad. How is that answered? Oh, my sweet beef, I must still be good angel to thee. The money is paid back again. Oh, I do not like that paying back. Tis a double labor. I am good friends with my father, and may do anything. Rob me the exchequer the first thing thou doest, and do it with unwashed hands, too. Do, my lord? I have procured thee, Jack, a charge of foot. I would it had been of horse. Where shall I find one that can steal well? Oh, for a fine thief of the age of two and twenty or thereabouts, I am heinously unprovided. Well, God be thanked for these rebels. They offend none but the virtuous. I laud them. I praise them. Bardolf? My lord? Go bear this letter to Lord John of Lancaster, to my brother John. This to my lord of Westmoreland. Exit Bardolf. Go, Pito, to horse to horse. For thou and I have thirty miles to ride, yet, ere dinner time. Exit Pito. Jack? Meet me to-morrow in the temple hall at two o'clock in the afternoon. There thou shalt know thy charge, and there receive money and order for their furniture. The land is burning. Percy stands on high. And either they or we must lower lie. Exit Prince Henry. Rare words, brave world. Hostess, my breakfast, come. Oh, I could wish this tavern were my drum. Exit. End of Act Three.